another episode of Setting the Tone, a ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today we're discussing Season 9, Episode 3, which is titled Insurrection. The episode aired on October 10th, 2002. Lauren, what was going on that week 21 years ago? Uh, former U.S. President Jimmy Carter was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for his decades of untiring effort to find peaceful solutions to international conflicts, to advance democracy and human rights, and to promote economic and social development. Critics believe the award was given to Carter for political reasons due to his overt condemnation of President Bush's so-called war on terror. We stand Jimmy Carter in this house. Habitat for Humanity is an excellent, excellent charity. Yep. Uh, not so excellent, Red Dragon, the third film in the Silence of the Lambs series, starring Anthony Hopkins, Edward Norton, and Rafe Fiennes, debuts and takes the box office crown. And A Moment Like This, the debut single from American Idol Season 1 winner Kelly Clarkson takes over the top spot on the music charts. And Lizzie, are you laughing because I messed that up or because I got it right? No, because you all, like, second-guess yourself even after, because, like, I do the exact same thing after someone tells me the proper pronunciation for something. Yeah, I was... I wrote it phonetically. Guys. I was laughing at your, uh, the, the disgust that was on your face of, like, forcing yourself to say it in a way that it wasn't spelled. You were, like... It's so hard for me, you guys. But I did it. I made I'm it. honestly amazed that you didn't know not how to pro- didn't know how to pronounce his name, considering how much of a Harry Potter. I know fan that's you are. that was the thing that I was surprised by. I thought for sure that you would know his name like perfectly just from Harry. Potter. I like I can put the face to the name, but like I don't hear the name said that often. Or I've did only you ever just, really? Or did you also refer to the actor as Hugh must not be named? This is early, guys, but I'm already done. It's early for the headphones to be coming off. Uh, As for what else was on that evening, uh, at 8 p.m., friends with the episode The One with the Pediatrician. At 8.30, Scrubs with My Case Study. At 9, Will and Grace with The the Kid Stays Out of the Picture. I forgot to write the word kid in the notes. You love to see it. That's the kind of energy we're bringing. Uh, And at 9.30, Good Morning Miami with The Way to Dylan's Heart. This week's episode had 24.7 million viewers tuning in. Uh, directed by Charles Hayde, who uh, really, really picks his fucking spots. Like, dude <laughs> dude only does seven episodes, but he does them over the course of 14 years. Uh, so it's been a while since we've seen Charles. Uh, Charles is doing his fifth out of seven this week. Uh, and the last time we saw him was all the way back in season four with Family Practice, uh, which was the episode where we went to San Diego and uh, met Mark's mm. parents. Um and written by the team of Yalin Chang, doing her first of four episodes. Um, she's best known as a producer on TV series like uh, Supergirl, Dirty Sexy Money, and Handmaid's Tale. Uh, and, of course, Jack Orman doing his 26th out of 28 as a writer. And, of course, the last time we saw him was the season premiere, Chaos Theory. All right. So welcome to uh, Reasons Why You Need a Union, the episode. Uh, previously, I was brought to us by Pratt. And are we open the episode as we did the last time? Hectic ER, charts everywhere, just everything's a clusterfuck. And Kara's half, like, not quite yelling, but like half yelling at Susan, like, that Susan needs to manage things better. Like, like there's any possible way to manage this in a cohesive and organized and streamlined way with how busy it is. Uh, but a noisy man is walking around with a banana bag asking everyone, hey, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? <laughs> it like half sing songy like that too. Yeah. 
Uh, and Carrie is asking, or Carrie is going to see if Mercy can take any of the overflow. Good luck with that. Ah, uh, then we go in with Carter telling Frank to get security. Here we go. Here's here's the theme, you guys. Here's the tone for the episode. We're setting it here. Uh, Mr. Barney, his patient, is screaming that they can't keep him here because he's in, like, one of the exam rooms, just clearly going through some stuff. And while the patient is screaming in the exam room, Carter and Susan are just having some random discussion about, like, how to get stains out of stuff. And it's just... <laughs> Very cheeky, played for laughs moment of just how insane everything is and how they just become so desensitized to it. So very, very good, like, acting for the two of them. It's a very funny scene, Mm -hmm. but it's also just like, oh my god, this is a mess. Uh, And kind of fittingly, we come in with some bangs. So from there, oh god, I forgot about this joke. Um, We have Pratt and Chen talking about a patient with a foreign body that's been stuck and... Pratt comments on the size of this foreign body stuck in this patient, to which Chen responds, remind me to show you my bowling pin x-ray. The guy was small, but boy, flexible. Just how? Doesn't matter. Uh, Mr. (laughs) Mullen is yelling at Pratt. So, important uh, patient for this episode is Mr. Mullen. He is currently yelling at Pratt to get a pain shot because he is on a 10 out of 10 pain for a slipped disc that he has. And Daniel, who plays Mr. Mullen? Hey, boy. Uh, probably th- eh, one, one or 1A one of the oh, hey, it's that people of this episode. There's one other who gives him a run for his money later on. But uh, Mr. Mullen is played by actor Lee Turgeson. Turgeson? Not exactly sure how you pronounce his last name. Soft G. Turgeson. Or, uh, I don't know. Turgeson. Refines. Um, but uh, <laughs> he is best known for appearing in stuff like Generation Kill, um, Wayne's World, where he played one of uh, the, like, metalhead roadies that follows Wayne and Garth around uh, in the early parts of that movie. So he's got really long hair, which is really a big contrast to where he's at in this episode. Uh, uh, but it's probably best known for being the lead actor on the HBO TV series Oz, which was um, HBO's um, first serious foray into prestige television. Um, Oz is a fucked up bananas banana pants fucking show and uh, i don't recommend you watch it unless you have uh, a lot of time and uh, a lot of emotional bandwidth to deal with things there's just a lot going on in that show not all of it good either like it, it is really babby's first prestige tv show like it swings wildly between some of the best tv you've ever watched and incomprehensible gobbledygook like Oz has one of the biggest um swings and it's not even like it it goes down the shitter at some point it just kind of weaves its way in and out of the shitter throughout its entire time um so it's just a it's a really strange show Uh, Jen and I did a full watch through of it during the pandemic and I'm I'm happy to say that we watched it just because I feel like it's important to the fabric of prestige television but it's a hard recommend. It's a real hard recommend. And he plays a really fucked up character as the main character. He's the kind of a, he starts off as just kind of like every man who has a DUI and accidentally, you know, kills a woman with his car. Uh, and that's what get it gets him sent to prison. Um, and by the end of the show, he's like unrecognizable. He is a completely different dude by the end of the show. So it's just really, really wild. Uh, but he has 131 credits to his name, uh, which is quite a lot, but not enough to make him the high watermark person for this episode. We will get into that a little bit later. 
Oh, and then uh, Susan is at admit with uh, Carrie, and she says, we shouldn't have to take down a needle-throwing psychotic. They're complaining to the head of security, and Carter pulls Aaron aside, our med student, who maybe has like six episodes less, who knows, Um, but he grabs Aaron to help him with an MVA, and he's like, Pratt, why is Mr. Mullensteel here? Get him to the pain clinic. He doesn't need a bed. Like, he's not our fucking problem. Get him out of here. Essentially. So Carter's doing great this episode. Um, Young girl is brought in. Anonymous, as we will call her for now. She uh, got hit by a guy's Mercedes after performing sex work. We should note, she's about 12. um, And she's got her hands held up, like, just really tense. And Aaron goes, oh, she's got some guarding. To which Carter responds, she's not guarding, she's greedy. And he take and he like gets her money from her. And he's like, you know, are you seeing a gynecologist? Are you seeing, are you seeing a doctor? And she goes, yeah, every Sunday after confession. Hey. I appreciate this girl's sass. Like, yeah, she's in a real shitty position, but I appreciate her. Um, and this girl is named Tina Jones and Daniel, who plays her? Uh, she is played by actress Asia. I'm going to assume that's how you pronounce that yeah. name. Uh, Asia Polk, who uh, appears in stuff like Jag, uh, Six Feet Under, another sort of problematically quality television. Like, problematic is the wrong yeah. word. It's just uneven quality. Uh, Six Feet Under uh, and uh, American Dreams. And we got another one of our main uh, through patients of the episode, Mr. Burke. I uh, fell out of bed at his nursing home, which we're not sure how he did that when he's pretty much immobile. Uh, gentleman here has end-stage Huntington's disease, so basically he has, like, like the lights are on, but nobody's home, essentially. Is that the... What good way to put it? More or less. I mean, he's he's not yeah. not competent uh, or not not in a position to make informed decisions about his own health yeah. at the moment. So that was if, if that was offensive. I apologize. That was, that seemed kind of that did seem kind of crass. I apologize. Um, either way, uh, Gallant runs through the prognosis of someone with Huntington's with Susan, and it's not good. Uh, and as they're examining him, they find ooh. Oh. Props department makes made me want to lose my lose my dinner a little bit. So glad just, I was not looking at the TV because I was taking notes for this. Man just has an awful triangular bed sore at the around his waist and up into his back a little bit. And they said, "Oh yeah, it's all the way down to the bone." Uh, gross. gross. Yeah, Lizzie. Gross, I think gross. the other. I think the other way you could say it is he has a diminished quality of life right now. Okay. Yeah, but it's the they did not pull any punches with the makeup and the the prosthetics on that uh, sore. that sore that that is that's one of the like oogiest goriest looking sores I can remember. Like like, yeah. You only see it for a couple seconds too, and it leaves an impression. <laughs> it leaves an impression. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, I'm horrible. I was like, so did whatever he was lying on. Hey, I, I, we can cut that. I, I put him down. You pick him up. Uh, we then go to Susan talking to Abby about how cranky Luca has been about her and Carter. Uh, Chen is irrigating a wound, uh, and Carter is seeking a detox bed for our uh, anonymous twelve-year-old sex worker. Uh, Abby uh, warns him that it's probably unlikely given the way things are going uh, with how busy they are and how short-staffed. 
Uh, Carter then walks in on Aaron and Pratt removing a vibrator from a patient. Uh, and he's like, you don't want to give him more any Valium or any more pain medication on that? And he says, any more Valium and he'd be unconscious. So uh, a lot of excellent Foley work in this uh, scene here. <laughs> I love when it <laughs> pops this? out and you hear Pratt go, oh, damn. I just go, oh, damn. <laughs> uh, uh, Carter. Yeah, I... I'm sorry. I just have to say, I did giggle really hard at the attention to sound detail with that. Just some somewhere in the writers' room, R. Scott Gemmel is smiling. Um, I'll allow it. We then uh, go back to Carter and Abby, who are talking about uh, her brother being in town. Oh boy, can't wait to start. Here we go. Can't wait to start this storyline. Uh, and uh, Carter is looking forward to taking them out to dinner. So Carter is going to be meeting the brother. Uh, we then see uh, Luca's next patient, a pelvic patient uh, named Effie, who is attempting a, quote, menstrual extraction and uh, taking a stand about women's right to choose, basically uh, performing an early term early term abortion on herself uh, with a vacuum cleaner. Um, and Effie here is played by actress Elizabeth Harmon Hayde, who appears in stuff like Criminal Minds, Sally Hemings, and American Scandal don't know who sally hemmings is or what the scandal was but it's a tv movie uh and uh she also apparently appeared in season one episode 12 as a different character uh and she is the ex-wife i'm guessing at the time probably current wife uh of episode director charles hade so that's where the hade and Harmon hade comes from uh so and i really uh hated that scene just for how relevant it is that was the that was my big takeaway from that yep. whole thing. I really hated the relevancy of the the current day relevancy of that scene, and I hated how like no no fault at all of the character, just the sort of attitude of the times. I really hated Abby's attitude of the whole thing too, of just sort of like, okay, crazy lady, like you know, obviously this that's extreme. Yeah, like she was she just I don't know, Abby's attitude I felt was kind of dismissive. Uh, and maybe at the time, maybe if I was watching this at the time, I would have felt this a similar way because in 2002, that seemed like kind of an extreme, uh, position yeah. to, to take and an extreme measure to take, not realizing where we were going to be in just, you know, 21 short years. <sighs> but, uh, we then see Gallant going over some treatment options with Stella, the, uh, air quotes, hypochondriac woman from last episode. Uh, and uh, a woman is uh, giving Lucas some films uh, and kind of gives him like a knowing look and sort of like you can just tell Expectant. that she, yeah, she's expecting something else from him. And he's like, what do you want from me, Kathy? Uh, so the implication being that Kathy here is a nurse from another department that Luca has uh, hooked up with. And uh, Abby, of course, sees this whole thing and asks if he's doing OK. So. We've reached the we've reached the uh, the dirtbag Doug portion of the Luka Kovac, Croatian Clooney arc, uh, where he's gonna be gonna be whoring around a little bit this season. Not to say that there's maybe not a storyline narrative justification for it, because I know like I, again I can hear Gen T typing already, like he's depressed or whatever, you know. Sure, I'm I'm not saying that there's not uh maybe some justification for it, but. It, that that is what we're going to be dealing with over the rest of the season, pretty much. Uh, I'm just going to say this. Jen's going to kill us this whole time. Is just like, she was already on us about something, I think, last <laughs> episode or the one before. Like, Jen, just, we're asking for our hall pass now. We're going to be sassy. I know you love us, and I know you love your boy, and I know you love Abby, but we're going to have thoughts. 
and we love you. <laughs> Lizzie, go ahead. All right. Well, uh, Carter tells Tina that she has an STI that caused a golf ball-sized growth near her ovary. Oof. <laughs> they don't specify which one, but... <laughs> Does it really matter? It is, golf ball size yeah, is but, bad. But, but they do specify that it is sexually transmitted, so... Um, Carter tells her that she's got to start stop. She's got to start smoking. She's got to stop Jesus. smoking crack. Boy, she howdy. wants to live to be twenty, and it's like we get it. Like Carter kind of explains later in the episode, but it's like we do think Carter's a little naive with this whole like I'm giving you a choice thing with the detox bed, and like that's gonna fix the calamity of other issues that lead her that lead someone her age to be doing sex work like it's really important that he gives her this option i agree with that i should say lizzie is speaking with my notes here i'll take ownership for this one um it's really important and it's really good that he's giving her this opportunity but the way he presents it is like it's magically gonna fix everything else Mm -hmm. and it's like my dude she likely has a pimp that's abusing her that's not going to stop the minute she stops smoking crack. Like, there's so many other things that could be going on that's just, like... Guarantee her parents are either not there or just don't care about her. Yeah, there's there's so many other things where it's like, this is not a fault of the character. No. Yeah. This is... <laughs> no, it's not, it's not the fault of the character, but, like, they... This feels a little bit like, and I'm sort of just p- putting this together as I'm watching it. This feels this this yeah. uh, this whole episode with this character feels like a speed run of the Kirsten Dunst storyline. Yes, like yes, yes, yes. Feels it yes. feels like a speed run of that without the um the violent assault. Like we don't yeah. fortunately see her get you know abused, but you know the implication is sort of there by the end of the episode, and yeah. it's um I don't know, like it just it. it I like the, I, I don't think this is this actress is bad necessarily, but I, I I don't I question whether she was the right fit for this part because she just doesn't like get across. I don't know. She's a little bit too clean cut, sassy, quippy for my taste. As far like this character, I feel like should have a little bit more of an edge to her. And like she, I don't know that I just I I wasn't buying it. Like it wasn't it wasn't getting there for me, but. But then we see a man comes in looking for Carter. Uh, Carter then yells at Gallant for having Stella be on a monitored bed. It turns out that this is Eric looking for Abby. Abby's brother is here. Daniel, who's Eric? Eric is played by actor Tom Everett Scott, who I always thought should have been a much bigger deal. Uh, I, uh, particularly, so let's, so the, the stuff that he is best known for, uh, stuff like Boiler Room and American Werewolf in Paris. And one of my favorite movies from when I was a kid, That Thing You Do, where he played kind of, I guess you could say the main character in that movie. Um, but it was a movie, uh, uh, produced and also, you know, co-starring, I guess you could say Tom Hanks. Um, even though he's not like a main character, he's kind of a supporting role. Um, and you watch that movie and it's hard not to draw the comparisons between the two. Like it's really hard when you see those two on screen together, not to go, Oh, it's just another young Tom Hanks. Like he's, he has the Tom Hanks sort of magic coming out of his pores in that movie. And so you watch that and you go like, man, why didn't this guy blow up and be a bigger deal? Like he's almost always good in everything he's in. Um, 
but for whatever reason, he just never took that next step to be like a super duper a like he he kind of never rose above character actor status. Not that there's anything wrong with that, uh, but I just sort of always expected that he would one day like completely blow up and would just be this mega you know huge megastar, and it just never never quite happened for Tom. See now I'm just trying to imagine the David S. Pumpkins uh, skit <laughs> with this guy instead of Tom Hanks. <laughs> And he is, of course, making his first out of eight uh, very tumultuous appearances as Eric. It's a whole thing. It's a whole I thing. I don't know if I thought it was more or less than eight appearances, but it feels it like feels eight like is the more. wrong number. It feels like what more. What I was surprised to, to discover is that it's all perfectly self-contained within this season. I thought it definitely... Really? I thought it definitely bled over into at least, if not the next season, maybe the season after that Like they like did a, you know... Uh, Mark's parents thing and like let it let it simmer for a while and then brought it back to like really fuck with you but no it's all completely contained within season nine hmm, okay uh, but then we get med student Aaron waving around a bag with the vibrator in it that they removed Bleh. to ask Carter where to log it because pathology won't take it he goes well get a camera and photograph and she goes well I don't have a camera he goes well then go fucking find one like he has no time for any of this right now um, and then Mr. Muller is still screaming for help because nobody's helped him. And uh, he's pissed at Pratt because Pratt's only written him a script for Vicodin and he needs a shot of Demerol. A single and, Vicodin. Oh, it's a single. I didn't even catch that. It was a single Vicodin. Makes it even worse. Uh, and in his frustration, he kicks chairs down, like the row of chairs down, <clears throat> knocks it over, and a man in crutches goes just spiraling onto the floor. Which is not funny, at all. Not not no. not at all. Not no, didn't even laugh a little bit. But this is like the <laughs> fuck, dude. But I did laugh a little bit. Like I know that I know that the chair was designed to give way like that. That that it's it's gimmicked to to give way when he kicks it. But it just looked like such a satisfying kick. Now you know why wrestlers look so good when they do shit like that. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, let's go to our first audio clip here. First of many. Uh, Eric and Abby are talking in the lounge. Did you hear she got a dog? Yes. Dumpy. Is that right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was dumped at the pound? Yeah, it turns out he's got a vitamin deficiency. He needs a special diet, so she cooks some bacon and eggs in the morning. She never made me breakfast in my life, but she'll cook for the dog. No, no, she cooked for you. Well, she can cook for the zoo as long as she's happy. I mean, she's good even. I think maybe this time... Maybe. Thanks. I'm sorry I wasn't there the last few times. It's okay. No guilt. It's not our fault. Remember? Abby, where's the bag of your fingertips? Uh, an exam, too. The cops brought him in before the run got here. It ain't there. Chance freaking out. Baggy of fingertips? Yes. Two neighbors tried to trim their hedge by hoisting a lawnmower in there. Thank you. Teamwork. You know what, I don't think I'm gonna be able to get a break, so maybe we should meet your hotel at six. Adele Newman for you on two. Uh, can you take a message? Or seven, actually, would be better, and then we can go out to dinner, show you the city. I can't, because I gotta get an 815 bus to off it. Off it? What's off it? Off it Air Force Base, my new station. Abby, I need a transfusion set up in five. Okay, in a minute. Uh, it's a menstrual extraction victim. I thought you cleared her. No, a different one. Some kind of party. In the hell of a party. You're getting transferred. Um, reassigned. I got a report in the morning. Again? Yeah, it's the Air Force. Okay, can you hold this for a second? It blow out all your air. I'll breathe in. Oh, right there, honey. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh. Abby, can you order right up a quad and ultrasound? For yeah, me? in a minute. Have you seen a package? A bucket of ice by the x-rays. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Don't ask. When did this happen? Last week. Gotta read your email. Well, how come it's so soon? I'm sorry, that's top secret. Okay, I got it. What happened? Uh, got here before they did. They're only one bag? They didn't sort them at the scene. Well, we need to sort them now. Okay, wait a minute. Where's this? Nebraska. Hey, yo, nurse. Is she gonna get her clothes back? They're in a bag under the bed. I heard it's kind of pretty. It's closer to you, it's closer to mom. Abby, mm -hmm. LOL and Forrest diarrhea. Oh, good. You said you needed a stool sample. If you could scrape it off the floor. Mm, I'm starting to appreciate why you dissed me. I'm sorry. You actually like this? Yeah. It's not that different from air traffic controlling. Without the menstrual extractions. Mm -hmm. Hey, where are her shoes at? Yeah, in a minute. You gotta do what you gotta do. I'll, I'll wait for you. Okay, I'll be right back. Hey, Frank, take care of my baby brother. Is he potty trained? <laughs> gotta get the Frank in there. Oh, uh, Frank. Gotta get, had to get that line. I love it. Of course, because it's Frank. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that we get a little update on uh, Maggie, uh, that, that mm -hmm. Maggie's, uh, at least for the time being, doing well. Um, Dumpy. I want to be Dumpy's best friend. Dumpy. It's criminal that we never get to meet Dumpy. Um, I Go ahead. And just I, I just like the dynamic between uh, Eric and Abby. And, you know, again, I, I've talked a lot in the past about when they, when they dredge up these long-lost relatives, mm -hmm. there's an element of, like, believable history that has to exist in order for you to buy into it and you know it's not exactly the same situation with uh uh pratt and his um you know brother friend um that was probably the worst possible way to phrase that uh but like his <laughs> with with leon like but but yeah. you know because that's not a biological relative but like they do have a supposed history yeah there's depth there's supposed to be depth there and then yet when you watch them you don't really feel much of it. You don't feel much of the depth between the two of them because it's just not, for whatever reason, those two actors just don't have the chemistry together to make that happen. Whereas with, you know, uh, Mark and his dad or, uh, you know, Abby and, and Maggie, like there's, there's all of this. Um, and I'm not saying that this Abby and Eric rise to that same level, but like it, it it's enough. It gets me there. Like I, I believe that these two have been through, the ringer together with Maggie. And so there's some believable history there between the two of them. Yeah. I was going to tack onto that and say, I love the line where he's like, she never made me breakfast in my life. And Abby being the older one might remember some more of it than he does. Cause she's older, right? I believe so. I, yeah. 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 Cause she said baby brother. Yeah. So yeah. Like for her to be like, well, she, she made you some breakfast, but it's like, yeah, that complete difference in experience with a sick parent. Mm hmm. It's just mm, so good. So I love that. I also noticed for the first time that he never answers any of her questions directly mm -hmm. Yeah. about his, about changing locations or anything. Like he's got a quippy one-liner for almost every time she asks him about his situation. Mm -hmm. I love the way that they write so. this, uh, that whole part of it, just because like it, it clues you in as the audience that there's something fishy going on, but it doesn't spell it out for you. Like they don't, they don't have him come in the door immediately, like manic. manic and like red flags just like bouncing off his head. Like they, they, 
there could have very easily been this like cartoonish depiction of like, oh, we got another, you know, bipolar case on our hands. Like, no, he just comes in and he's like kind of cagey and he's like not quite, you know, ready to spill it out, you know, spell out what's going on. He's just kind of like hinting like, oh, yeah, I got to do it, but it's no big deal. And, you know, so like we as the audience, we know something's up, but they haven't spelled it out in plain English for us yet. And I like that they're just kind of like teasing it out. More drip feeding it yeah. versus beating you over the head exactly. with that. Uh, but uh, we go from there back to our hunt- end-stage Huntington's patient, Mr. Burke, who is in the trauma room. Uh, his mother has now joined in on the uh, fuss over him in the trauma room while Susan is trying to work on him. Uh, we find out that he is septic uh, because of, you know, gestures broadly at everything. Uh, and uh, the mother here is played by another uh, very recognizable, oh, hey, it's that person, uh, actress Shirley Knight, who appeared in stuff like uh, Paul Blart, Mall Cop, uh, Grandma's Boy, uh, the movie that Lauren will insist to her dying breath is uh, actually, uh, what's the, what is the one with Diane Keaton? I've already forgotten. <laughs> it's... Something's, something's got to give, give. Yep, exactly. Something's got to give, which is uh, not as good as it completely gets. Completely different completely movies. Completely different yes. movies, but uh, we'll live on forever in our hearts. Um, and uh, she is our high watermark actor for the episode. 178 credits to her name. Uh, she did unfortunately pass away just a few years ago in 2020. So, A few years ago in 2020. Oh, my God. <laughs> Excuse you, I'll just be over here having a uh, existential crisis. Lizzie, we've been doing this show since 2019. Go, go, uh, shave right, this, your, go, shave your I, grays. This is where I ripped my headphones off. <laughs> hey, you just died over my grays yesterday. Damn. Time to take your pills, everybody. Uh, <laughs> uh, we uh, for the second episode in a row. Yep. Uh, do the yep. um, do the paramedic waiting in the hall bit. Uh, way to way to go back to the well on that one, guys. Uh, there, Morales is asleep in the hall waiting for his patient to get a bed. We do get a little bit of Carter speaking Spanish there, there where he says, Mueva te oh, yeah. amigo. Uh, move it, buddy. Uh, There's a lot of really weird small bits in this one that make the ER feel very alive and in I, a way that it hasn't in a while. And I think you can credit a lot of that, I think, in my opinion. I think you can credit a lot of that to Charles Hayden. Uh, because I think yeah. I think he, you know, because like I said, he has been he's been with the show in some capacity since the beginning. So if there's anybody who know who's going to know how to get that flow and, and have that kind of that organic feel of the old days, mm. it's going to be somebody who has been there since the beginning. Yep. Um, we then see Pratt and Chen sorting through the fingers. Uh, <laughs> was it Chen? That's I it? don't know. Did I mention like why the fuck they're dealing with the hands? It was I... in the clip. It was uh, okay. Abby mentions I just it in the clip. Like, the, the the guys holding you. up the uh, lawnmower to trim the hedges, which <sighs> as somebody who like has a very healthy fear of lawnmowers, like and has always sort of been a little bit sketched out whenever he has to use one. Uh, no thanks, no thank you. Uh, Sorry, I interrupted, but I was just like, did we talk? No, about that's that? all right. Uh, is it? Uh, Chen that says to Pratt or Pratt that says to Chen that they have three thumbs. I think Chen says to Pratt. Yeah. Or Abby. I think Abby comes uh, in. Abby, yeah, yeah, you're right. That, yeah, Abby you're says, absolutely yeah. right. Yes, it is Abby. Uh, you have three thumbs there. So uh, Carter then asks where Tina is uh, since she's not in her bed and is, hasn't made it up to detox yet. And uh, Abby has to break the news that she left with a uh, gentleman. And uh, 
She apologizes to him for not realizing who it was or what the situation was. It was just kind of one of those things. And just caught up in the. Yeah, because she never actually met the kid. Right. No. So. Right. Yeah. So not great. And and the implication being that the guy we heard in the clip last time was uh, probably her boyfriend slash pimp slash who knows abuser you know like they're yeah because really at this at, at the age of 12 you could pretty much classify anything that that guy is to her as abuser, abuser. yeah absolutely all right so this fun light-hearted episode so far uh it's about to oh, take God. a turn for the dramatic uh We'll go to our next audio clip here. Frank uh, tries to get Carter's attention because Mr. Muller has Chen at is holding Chen at gunpoint. The hell if I know the whole world can walk right through this place. Dr. Carter. What? Get the shot. Now. Now! No, 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 no. Nobody move. All right, it's cool. Nobody move. No, it's cool. It is not. It's not cool. I am in pain. I need Demerol, and you're going to give it to me. Yes, I am. I am going to, Abby, go to drug lockup, get a case of Demerol. I don't need a case. I just, uh, I just need my shot at 150 milligrams. Okay, 150 milligrams then. See, there's no problem. It's all right. Look, no problem. No, we got a problem! This here is supposed to be a county hospital. Call the police. You're supposed to care about people. Call the police. Care! We care now. Yeah, that's right, you do. What's taking so long in there? I'm coming. You care, because I'm making you care, because I got this gun. Because I'm the one who gets to decide. You don't have to decide. No, I right? get to decide who's going to feel pain. Who's not going to feel pain? Just like you. Every day. Show it to me. Show me it. Show me the label. Abby. Stay right there, Eric. Okay, come on, come on, come on, hurry up. Hurry hey, up. we're gonna help you. We're gonna give you the shot. Why don't you just put the gun there? I'll hold on to it for just the same with you. Okay, where do you want it? Why'd you want to be a doctor? Excuse me? A doctor. Was it the money? That's part of it. And what's the other part? It's complicated. Well, explain it to me. I mean, you can't tell me that you actually wanted to help people. Or maybe you did, right? Maybe. Maybe you all wanted to help people, but then little by little you realize that there's just too many people to help. Who's gonna survive? Thank you. Hey, remember this! For next time. Fuck. All right, Martin. This <laughs> scene is like. It's dramatic, but, like, the guy isn't going to matter to the overall, like, plot line of the show. So just give us something kind of dramatic and we'll go and we'll go from there. <laughs> then it's just the, the meme piano. of uh, the, guy, the 
flaming the guy on the beach with the flaming piano. Whew. Yeah. Whew, I need a cigarette after that's, that. That's not some uh, score of his that I hear talked about very often. Uh, but boy, is it a good one. Like, he really. Goddamn, Martin. Just the slightly off key nature, too, to like build the tension mm-hmm. almost. Like, uh. Love it. Yeah. Love it, love it, love it. It's really fucking good. There, there's just a lot there. Also, what totally took me out of this moment while I was watching it was behind all this action, there's what I have to assume is one of the lawnmower victims just completely gauzed face and head with blood on it and, like, ra- completely wrapped hands. <laughs> and this is, this is I'm going to make this reference, and it's probably only for Jake because I don't think any of our listeners have done this, but it reminds me of the starting prisoner costume in Elden Ring. That's, all right, well, I'm yeah. out. Yeah, that's fine. I knew it was just for Jake, and that's fine, and I'll live with it. But it just, it completely took me out of the moment by the end there. I was like, what the fuck's going on back there? Just, like, amazing acting happening up front. But, of course, my brain is like, the fuck's going on in the back? I didn't have a whose films are those this episode, so I had to have something (laughs) stupid to focus on. Whose bloody fingertips are those in the background? Uh, But, yeah, uh, so that sort of, like, uh, high pressure intensity that you're getting from mr muller or mr mullins here um that's kind of the vibe that you can expect from most of oz like that's kind of with yeah i'm good I'm with good. a lot of with a lot of like late 90s into the early 2000s um cinematic choices if we can put it that way like a lot of like you know jaggedy cuts to the camera and like uh, all of a sudden it's in black and white for some reason and nobody's really sure why and oh here's a security camera like just shit like that uh so yeah that that's what you can kind of expect from oz uh but really like again this is another kind of example of of the show having its finger on the pulse of not only stuff that's happening in, in polite society today but also stuff that's gonna be a problem and gonna be an issue going forward like this is a this is a like three minute clip kind of illustrating the um the coming severity of the opioid crisis and how like people yeah is that that still hasn't even really started at this point no not really i mean it's 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 becoming a problem it is you know uh over drugs are out there right the drugs are out there and like it's the people are people are starting to know how good the drugs are and there's um you know it, it's coming it is coming down the pipe and so like this is kind of a little bit of a uh i don't i hesitate to say it's a commentary on it because like they don't they do a really good job here of like towing the line of like he's clearly wrong and like he's clearly not um oof, i don't know like he's he's his methods are wrong, but he is. Uh, they're not outwardly saying that he isn't in pain and that he shouldn't be. Um, he he doesn't have a reason to be uh, as desperate as he is. So, from that heart-stopping adventure, we go over to the ambulance bay where Mister Muller is passed out because Abby gave him a bigger dose so it would knock him out instead of four hundred and fifty versus one hundred and fifty. I was getting there. Um, wasn't in the notes. I wasn't sure. I, I had it in my brain, but um they God. get they not many things are up there, but that one somehow was. But they uh 
they get him some Narcan and a gurney with some soft restraints. And then we don't hear anything else about this for the rest of the episode. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's really one of the other things that I kind of like about this is that they do a little bit of a bait and switch because, like, this could have easily been and and, and, and in a later season probably would have been the thing. And then they decided to be like, actually, no, this is not the most important thing this episode. Uh, We're going to have a – we're going to (laughs) have – sit down and have a little chat about labor unions and – Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yep. And speaking of which, Carter starts talking to Carrie about this, and he's like, "This shouldn't be able to happen. Where are our metal detectors? Like, what the fuck? We've talked about this. Where are they?" And Carrie just goes, "Well, it's part of the security plan. You know, some administrative stuff." And Carter's like, "What security plan? There, there is no plan." And uh, we pivot over to Eric asking Abby why she's at the ER as a nurse and what happened to med school. And she kind of, like, dances around it. And it's like, okay, I'm sorry. I'm really busy. I've got a bunch of patients. Have a great trip. I'll talk to you next time you're in town. Bye. Mm-hmm. Like, just totally. Like, okay, go. You're, we're not going to have time to do dinner. Get out of here. Whatever. Um, so, yeah. Essentially, lovingly tells him to fuck off. Yeah. Which brings us to our next audio clip here. Carrie and Carter are talking about the budget. John, read the newspapers. County health care expenditures are down over 30%. I don't have to read the newspapers. I'm here. And security is not a place to save money. Yeah, we're wasting it on patient care. Oh, come on, Carrie. You know these aren't the same budget cutbacks. We were supposed to have the metal detectors two years ago. It's not just the metal detectors. Well, I think it's a start. If you put them up, you got to man them. Oh, that's a crazy idea. I'll talk to the medical executive committee. Hey, what do you want them? Take them straight now. to the unit. We need it now. We need a secure triage area. We need more guards. We need better guards. You just work on clearing I board. cannot clear I that take board. Take it up with it. I am treating a 12-year-old girl on the street cracked up PID tubo ovarian abscess run over by a car and I got two minutes to spend with her yeah, because we're, we're so over capacity it is ridiculous here, and I somehow managed to talk her into detox before I can get her a bed we let her dealer pimp boyfriend walk in here and waltz her right John, back out I am just as frustrated about then this do something about it just treat your patients wow way to go boss Frank where's the yellow pages bottom show Hey, in the future, can we try not to agitate the drug seekers? It's not my fault he got a gun in here. I never said it was. What are you doing? I'm ordering metal detectors. Now you're talking. Let's get some cattle prods while you're at it. Shut up, Frank. (laughs) Shut Shut up, up, Frank. Frank. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. You mentioned how how much I enjoy, like, the... The, how much levity there is in this episode? I'm in this telling episode. you, like, it's, it's that the Charlie Hayde uh, magic. Like the guy understands the the balance. There must be balance in all things, and like mm-hmm. th- this episode has just a lot of that magic. And you know, so spoilers for the listener response segment at the end. There are a lot of feelings about not just this episode, but about where we're at with John Carter, MD, and the fact that. Um, I think we're realizing and the fandom is is well aware and is coming to terms with the fact that like season nine, for whatever reason, is them deciding that John Carter is the main character. And so a lot of the things that happen, especially in the early parts of this season, are seen through the lens of John Carter is the main character. <laughs> that like the, we have we have minimized the ensemble aspect of the show and mm. this is now 
John Carter show. And all that being said, I don't hate or I, I, I don't I, I don't have a negative opinion of this particular moment or really this episode in general, but like particularly with this moment, no. I uh, I think it's actually some of uh, Noah Wiley's strongest work. And I, I mm-hmm. think it, it, it mm-hmm. illustrates a lot of his stronger points as an actor. Like, I think he really does a, a, a really, really good job with it. Yeah, I would agree with that. I um, I definitely, yeah, this one gave me a break from the kind of anti-Carter tirade we've been on a little bit after the past couple episodes mm-hmm. and how the shift happened. But this one, I was like, okay, you yeah, know, I'm, I'm good with this. This is, this was a good Carter episode for sure. So I enjoyed it. But we'll get into that more at the end. Yeah. I also love how Carter's like, don't fucking talk to me about the budget. I'm here every day. Like, this is not where this is going. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a lot. It's a whole Mm -hmm. fucking lot. Um, but, uh, we go from there to, uh, Lizzie and Susan talking about, uh, what happened. Uh, Lizzie making like something of a contractually obligated appearance in this episode like doesn't really factor that heavily into the proceedings but she's here she got paid Um, they're called into trauma with Mr. Burke Uh, he's aspirated on his vomit and the mother uh, saying to Susan once you put that tube in that's it right once you put it in it's not going to be coming back out so in the midst of all this chaos there's also a uh, end stage patient stuff happening here in the trauma room uh and then once again carter yells at gallant one more time for still working on stella stella (laughs) okay uh so let's uh go to our next audio clip here carrie hangs up the phone while on carter while he's calling about the metal detectors no no sooner than that as soon as you can why don't you just come out and take a look at the space what are you doing trying to make us all safer. You ordered six metal detectors retail? Yep, they should be here in about half an hour. Now, we have a procurement department that handles all capital expenditures. You canceled it? Yes, I canceled it. This is not your job, and believe me, you don't want it. We had another 15% budget reduction again this year. I am just trying to keep the doors open. Close them, because it's not worth it. You shouldn't have to risk your life to work here. Of course not, but you have to be responsible about it. You have to get competitive bids. No, Carrie, you know what's irresponsible is letting this go on as long as we have. And I have been in staff meetings 14 hours a month for the past two years working on this. Where have you been? Where are you going? To the ambulance bay to wait for my metal detectors. When he comes down, have him see me. Abby. Answer the phone, Frank. You know, we have patients to care for. He's right, Carrie. Answer the phone, Frank. Mm. Labor rights, labor (laughs) rights, labor (laughs) rights. Who's the who's the more surprising um, tag along there? Is it? Frank? Oh, absolutely, Frank. 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 Hundred percent. Ten thousand percent. I could see an argument being made for Luca as well, but for, I agree, Frank is definitely uh, probably the right choice. But I also have to say, 
I hate how much Carrie's admin speak is my life right now. Like the whole, we have a procurement department who signs off on these purchases. I'm just over here like, eh. Yeah, eh. which <laughs> is an important distinction because like I, um, while I don't disagree with the spirit of Carter's little charade here. Right. Um, I do think Carrie still has a point that like, mm-hmm. yes, the the incident that just happened and probably the cumulative nature of incidents that have happened over the in the past do warrant an urgent response but there is also procedures and and policies and stuff in place to address issues like that and he's so you don't bankrupt the hospital right and he's choosing to just like throw a grenade into the middle of it and like fold his arms until he gets what he wants not to say that that protest and strike you know we're we're, we're living in the middle of a writer's strike right now and uh and as literally as we're recording this like sag after is voting on whether or not they can authorize a strike uh if yep. it comes to that so like striking works we're very we're very pro-strike and pro-labor right. I- I did not hear about the SAG thing. Ooh, yeah, uh, actually, uh, fucking Eric Paladino has been one of yep. the people who has been, yep. he oh, has been yeah. like actively campaigning on Instagram, being like, "Oh, his Instagram is all about the strike yeah, he, right now." Oh, we stand a Malucci in this house. Oh, absolutely. He has been like, "Yeah, if you're if you're SAG after, you should vote yes on authorizing." Uh, it's now it's not authorizing a strike to happen. It's authorizing SAG after to threaten a strike if it comes to that. Basically, so it's it's the vote before the vote. But it's still like it's so like a lot of this stuff is like painfully relevant to to what's happening right now. Obviously, we're not talking about the safety of these workers. We're talking about their, you know, financial livelihoods. But uh, so I don't disagree with the methodology necessarily, but I do understand where Carrie's coming from in that there is a procedure for this and there is a policy for this. And like it 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 can be frustrating to an outside viewer but she is she has been in those meetings she has been in that in that uh process like she knows it forwards and backwards and carter doesn't and it's unfair to her that he just sort of makes it seem like she's been doing nothing this whole time i don't think that's a fair characterization to say that she's been doing nothing has she been doing enough maybe not who's to say but uh to, to make it seem like she's done nothing or that she has made no progress whatsoever, I feel like is an unfair characterization. From Carter's perspective, though, you can absolutely see where he would think, oh, nothing's been getting done. Sure. Also, when she says meetings for 14 hours a month for the last two years, I'm like, is that a lot? Yeah. Oh. Is, is that yeah. a lot for... So let's do the math. 14 hours a month, uh, you know... <laughs> Let's say they, let's, you know, because those are not probably every week meetings, I would say. Let's say they meet, you know, three times a month. That's still meetings that are going four plus hours each time, you know. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and that's, you know, obviously not her only meetings. These are just the budget meetings. So, like. Especially now that she's taking over more of her mono stuff. Yeah, so this is, this is 100%. She's saying it's a meet of her time, not necessarily all of her time, but it's. 14 hours a month is nothing to sneeze at. Just on face value, it doesn't seem like a whole yeah, lot. Yeah, it, it was, uh, I will say, I know I, I had the at. same reaction when I heard the line. I was like, maybe they could have phrased that differently to make it sound more impressive or daunting. But like 14 hours a month, like in a vacuum, doesn't sound that impressive. <laughs> but there's there, Like three hours a yeah, week. Yeah, like there was probably a better way to, to turn that phrase to get across how much, you know, Carrie's been plugging away at this and it just hasn't really 
happened, it, there was a better way to phrase it. And also, Carter almost just saw a drug-seeking crazy person, like, almost put a bullet hole in his best friend's head. Yeah. And then wave the gun at his current lover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I, I could absolutely see, even if you take two seconds and look at it, Carter's not taking those two seconds. Carter's just seeing exactly what is right in front of him and it just has blinders onto everything else. I'm still on Carter's side because I will absolutely over, I will almost always favor the the workers over the administration. Sure. But then we go over to Chen is sitting in the hallway that's kind of like on the second floor where the windows look out over the ambulance mm. bay and she's just sitting on the floor in there taking a breather. And Pratt comes in and offers to buy her some M&Ms or stockings or whatever the fuck she wants from this vending machine. Um, And he's just very sweet trying to console her. And um, all of a sudden, it's like very sweet moment between the two of them. And I'm so glad they don't kiss. And my heart melts when Pratt kisses her forehead. And uh, we're seeing bits of good Greg Pratt in here. We're seeing it. And I'm here for better (laughs) Greg Pratt. We'll say better Greg Pratt better because i love how he acknowledges that no sometimes i just get cocky when i'm nervous like that that was a very sweet that is but um it's it's a refreshing side compared to what we've seen the last two episodes uh, i'll just put it the love slave line was a bit that was much that was absolutely much also felt like he really didn't need to give it give her the little smooch there okay i thought it was sweet for once um but either way that was crossing a line that she's clearly said that she doesn't want to be a want cross i thought it so. was i thought it was a platonic little smooch i didn't anyway um there. but all of a sudden in the midst of this uh, divisive comforting session they look back and they they see everybody in the ambulance bay and uh chen is like was there a fire alarm is there an evacuation happening yeah so let's go to our next audio clip here then uh carter abby and luca are standing kind of awkwardly just in out in the ambulance bay with other doctors and other some and more support staff filing out so let's see what they have to say now what i have no idea got everybody out here you should say something why are you talking to me like we're planning a prison break in case this thing gets ugly you don't know me that's right hey what's going on talk to norma ray we're not working until they install some metal detectors and get some additional security really Cool. My shift's over in an hour anyway. Oh, looks like a showdown. Listen up! Unless you are on a scheduled break, you are in violation of your hospital contract and are all in danger of being summarily fired. Part of our contract guarantees that the hospital provides us with a safe working environment. Look, today's incident was horrific. But we are already taking steps to ensure that it doesn't happen again. You always say that, Carrie, but nothing ever happens. I don't always say that. Well, we've heard it before. And this is how you choose to solve the problem? Hey, what's going on? We got a 62-year-old man, hypotension, low back pain, BP's 80 pounds. We're going to do some about this today. Yeah, and everyone here needs to get back in there while they still have a job. Don't even think about touching that patient, Galant. Get him in there, Galant. Galant, you are a student. You don't have a contract. You just fail.
All right, let's go. Could be a ruptured aneurysm. Remember, friends, unionize your workplace. I, I love the... Doesn't matter what industry you're in, unionize your workplace. There are unions for every single industry you could possibly think of. Especially if you're retail. Jesus Christ. Life was so... I, my retail jobs that I've had in the past were so much better when they had unions involved. Holy shit. I love the look on Gallant's face. The look of, like, pained, <laughs> pained conflict between being, like, the good boy who does what Carrie tells him to do and the good boy who does what Carter tells him to do. Like, he just, you know, <laughs> he wants to please everybody. And he just can't. And I'm... And I'm like I'm sort of surprised that the uh, the choice, the narrative choice there is to have him side with Carter. You know, it uh, wouldn't have surprised me if they had just kept it as Gallant is the only one that stays inside with Gary because, like she said, he's not he doesn't even work there yet. He's just a student. He just fails. It's not like he you know gets fired or anything. But yeah, the showdown begins. I almost did the uh, sports center noise again. <laughs> um, yeah, and then in case that's not all ridiculous enough, we go over to Susan telling Miss, Mr. Burke's mom what's going on because she's like one of the only, maybe three doctors that isn't out there right now. Um, and Mr. Burke's mom goes on to talk about how hard it's been to watch her son die for the past 25 years. And she shares that he used to be an opera singer and that it was devastating to watch him slowly realize he couldn't sing anymore. Whew. Yeah. Among other really heavy stuff. That's just yeah. the, the gist of it. So for that reason, in this next audio clip here, you will hear like 15 to 30 second little bits of beautiful, beautiful opera music mixed in. That's them going, the scene going back over to uh, Mr. Burke's mom and her slowly just starting to turn the life support machines off yep so that is that is what you're here when there's not lines going but in that in for on that note uh abby wants wants a piece of paper for what let's find out another piece of paper what for we start working there is me you'll be fine i know Usually they just decapitate the leaders of the insurrection and send the peasants back to work tending the fields. But thank you. It would take you so long. Abby, I need a repeat blood gas on my Huntington's patient. We're staging a walkout. Yeah, I get that. I need a pH. He's throwing PVCs. In fact, I have 10 other patients on monitored beds who no one is watching. So maybe somebody will pay attention. Go outside and pout? Too many patients. No room, overwhelmed staff, and it's dangerous. This keeps up, we're not gonna be able to treat anybody. News flash, the healthcare system sucks. Our job is to treat people in spite well, of it. Well, I can't, not anymore. And I don't expect you or anybody else here not to, but I can't do it. Yeah. 
So, too bad to the 10-year-old was We've already had one staff arrest. member murdered on duty or and nothing happened. I am trying to save the people that roll out. in here tomorrow. I know, Carter. You're an emergency room doctor. It's about getting through the ship. Do you even know how many guns and knives pass through here in a year? I don't, but I do know how many people are depending on us at this very moment. I got stabbed. Lucy got killed, and today Abby and Chen get a gun to their head. I'm sorry. No. It's got to stop. Otherwise, it's not worth doing. Fine. You know what? You fix tomorrow. I have to go treat the patients that need us today. You go, Susan. I mean, not necessarily for not being part of the walkout, but for, you know, being willing to stand up for what she believes in in this whole thing. Yeah. Everyone's got to stand up for what they believe is right, yeah. even if what you think, even if what you think is right, may be misguided in some situations. <laughs> I love how she's like. So you're just gonna go pout? She like is a. I mean, yes, she wasn't there for it, but she yeah. is a little dismissive of the whole a member of the staff was murdered thing. Like yep, she kind of brushes past that, and I get that she wasn't there for it. She didn't know Lucy. Like she has no personal connection to that tragedy the way Carter does. Um, so that comes off a little bit cold uh, from, and it, it diminishes the legitimacy of her argument. I feel like it's kind of a hard thing as the audience for you to move past. If you're trying to, to see the other side of the argument, which is what Susan's providing here. Um, and so like, I don't know, that's a tough one to get past. Like that's a, that's a really tough one to get past because it's like, it's not just like, Oh, you know, I mean, Chen's what happened to Chen earlier in the episode is, is horrible in a vacuum, you know, but it still doesn't really compare to a member of the staff literally getting murdered in the ER. And that's, I don't know. And one, and and another one near the, another one, the one you're talking to nearly dying in the the same attack. The one who several months ago you were in a relationship with. Yeah. She just, you know, and like that's kind of that's been a recurring thing with Susan when it comes to to Carter is that like she's never really fully gotten or it's like you can almost see her being like, I just don't get the whole stabbing thing. Like he keeps bringing it up and she never really seems that concerned about it. Like she never really seems that empathetic to the fact that he got stabbed and witnessed another staff member literally die in front of him. His med student. Right. Like it was <laughs> that whole thing just kind of leaves her sort of like, I don't really get your thing. I don't really get what's going on here. So I'm just not going to talk about it. I'm not really digging your vibe, man. Yeah. So like, I don't know. It's just kind of a bad look for her. Like, and I, I hate, I, I you know, cause I like Susan a lot as a character. Uh, I've, I've said that, you know, many times. And so I don't love when they put her in the position of being the, like the shitty other side of the argument, which is, which is where she is in this episode. Like she, she does not come off looking good here, but she does do a solid here. I'm just going to say this, this next part, she, she does do a bit of a solid, um, when she does walk back in, she sees Mr. Burke's mom crying on his body with the monitor turned off. And they kind of, like, share a knowing look. And then she flips it back on just in time because Abby comes in and says, like, oh, did did he code? And Susan's just like, yep. 
Sure did. Mm-hmm. Just light, just some light murder. It's fine. I mean, we've been over that in this show. I know, it doesn't I know, matter I know. to anybody. Nor do I. It, it's. I'm not going to get in the weeds about they're kinda, it. Anyway, they're kind of doing the uh, the Doug Ross greatest hits with this episode a yeah. little bit. Like mm-hmm. we got we got some cowboy shit. We got some like little bit of like condoned murder. Uh, we got you know some um, some manhorn. Some man whoring, like we got we got going toe to toe with Carrie. Like there's just there's a lot of the uh, the Doug Ross greatest hits being played in this. Episode. Trying trying to rescue a child sex worker. Yeah, like it's there's a little bit of that going on in just about every corner of this episode. All right, well let's get our last audio clip in in here. Uh, it's now nighttime in the ambulance bay, and let's get our little let's get our resolution to this uh, labor dispute. You think they closed the paramedic runs? I can't tell. Think right, they replaced us all? I can't tell. Think it's gonna rain? Looking to recruit. Shouldn't she be waving away for flight? Dr. Carter, let's uh, take a walk. The metal detectors will be here either tonight or tomorrow morning, and we've accelerated our negotiation with a new security firm. What about triage? Construction starts as soon as we can approve the bids. Thank you. No, no, you don't get to thank me. You get to go back inside and clear off that board. You are already four hours behind. Fair enough. And it will be hard to avoid a disciplinary committee hearing. It's nothing personal, Carrie. We just need to protect our people. Yeah. Oh, oh. Speaking of that. I'd hope to control some of these costs, but now that we're paying more for immediacy, you'll have to offset that by either laying off three senior nurses and hiring new grads, or canceling x-ray and lab service after 10 p.m. Whatever you think. No. No, John, you forced us to do it this way. You get to decide. Well, you can't run a trauma in the middle of the night and have to go to the lab. The patient could be dead before you get back. It's true. Nurses, though. Three. I want their names on my desk first thing in the morning. I love how he's like, whatever you think. Nope. Try again, buddy. Do it your way. Fucked around and found out. I did make the sassy comment, though, here. I was like, can't he just pull this out of his trust fund and pay for these out of pocket? There's so many reasons why that's I know, a bad idea. I know. Yeah. I'm aware, I but I'm just saying. Think, like, I think we're still technically in the, the period where he's, like, cut off. We could be. They, but they've, never really, in, they've never really cleared that up, whether he's back in the good in, graces or not. In my hand, Wavy, Carter is, like inconceivably rich brain. I was like, he could have just fucking done this. He didn't have to fire anybody. Yeah. Which, that- you know what's stupid? You know what stupid thought I just had? Oh, no, what? Well, maybe if they didn't have to pay Abby two straight weeks of overtime, then they could have for <laughs> <laughs> the damn metal detectors. Uh, yeah, how expensive are these metal detectors? <laughs> two that I want to know is that they've got to fire three full-time nurses senior i think it's for that i think it's for that and the uh the construction budget i think that's part of it too if they're ramping that up the bids are gonna be uh higher 
for got the good old late season remodel coming soon. Yep, and I don't remember. I mean, so I looked into the because I know I know where this ultimately heads, but I can't remember if it res- resolves here or if it bleeds into next season. But you know what we're heading towards, gang? We're heading toward the great nurse purge of uh, yep. season Ooh. season nine or so, which means we're about to lose Connie. Uh, we're about to lose Yosh. And everyone I th- loves Yosh. Think I'm trying to remember who the third one is, because um, obviously we keep Malik, we keep Hale, we keep Chuni, and Lydia goes into like nebulous uh, limbo land. Like she works nights, so she can see her grandkids yeah. more. Like Ly- Lydia is like around. They just kind of like you just don't see her anymore. And um, I'm kind. I'm kind of. Remind, uh, thinking back on when we interviewed uh, Connie Marie Brazelton and we were talking about all these different, which we covered a lot of ground in that interview because that that was a, a wild wild ride from beginning to end. Um, but uh, I seem to remember at some point her saying something about yada 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 yada, and then they fired our asses, which at the time I took to mean that like ner- like on screen that was the whole thing was that they fired the characters and now i'm starting to wonder if maybe they did just like decide they didn't need the nurses as uh supplemental characters anymore and just kind of fired them like i'm kind of wondering if that's what was the actual the actual thing that happened there but mm, yeah so i know that I, I i know that some of i looked at connie marie's uh appearances at least and i know she does have some appearances into season 10 so I don't think we're completely heading down the end of this road just yet, but it is coming. Like we're getting very close to the the great nurse purge of kind of latter day ER. <sighs> I also kind of feel like this is where this episode should have ended. Like a lot of this, yep, a lot yep. of the stuff oh, on absolutely. the end of this episode is weird as hell. Yep. Like hundred percent, this could have been the great ending for it. Like this, and ha- I'm just gonna. Let you rip it, Daniel. Yeah. Th- this episode is about uh, eight minutes short, and they felt the need to pad out the rest of it. And I, uh. I, I, don't, I don't know why. I, I would have liked. There's. It's not like they had exhausted everything they could have done with the other stuff. There's other stuff in there that they could have covered, and they just didn't. And now they have to tack on all this weird shit at the end. Um, because then we get some Leon development, that Leon development that everybody was so thirsty for. Hey, uh, Yeah, he approaches uh, the desk looking for a doctor. Again, one of those things that could have been solved if you'd have just name dropped. Um, Abby asks about when construction's going to start with the metal detectors. Gallant says he needs a prescription approved for Stella. And uh, Leon is uh, apparently lost and uh, is looking for pratt but keeps just saying that he needs a doctor and then finally once security starts wrestling him to the floor uh he finally starts screaming for greg pratt okay uh susan asks carter why he's still there he says that he's still trying to get the board clear and uh susan then starts making plans with chen and abby says they need to go hit a club and they try to drag abby along Carter and Abby make a weird face at each other about it. That is like, oh, are you gonna go drink? Yeah, I, I didn't. Yeah, I don't know. It was just weird. Um, Susan then goes off to tell uh, Mr. She's on the phone with Mr. Burke's physician, talking to him about his death, and weirdly asks if he can sign the death certificate. Which I'm like, you were there for his actual death. Why can't you do it? Aren't you a doctor? Yeah, that was weird. Um, 
turns out that they're going to release his body right to the mortuary. So wash their hands of that whole thing, I guess. Um, We see Gallant getting Leon home and uh, asking him how they are related. And this is where we find out that Leon is a childhood friend of Pratt's whose mm-hmm. uh, Pratt's mother took him in when he was, you know, just a, you know, preteen kind of age. And yeah. that they're so they're not, you know, blood relatives, but they are, you know, for lack of a better word, they are brothers. Um we go back to the ER. Carter and, uh, Carter and Aaron are clearing off the board, and the "How you doing?" guy is back from the beginning of the episode. And uh, the metal detectors arrive, and Carter goes to sign for them. Uh, and then we get to the end of the episode, the uh, bizarre location shot here of Susan, Abby, and Chen at a bar, uh, and Susan and Abby are doing that uh, that thing that <laughs> that thing that in your late twenties and and maybe if you make it that far, your early thirties, you realize that places like these are not actually that much fun because you can't have a conversation with another person, so you're just sitting there screaming at each other about like she's like oh, I was supposed to yep. go on a date with a guy with who has one of those undefinable money jobs uh, that if this episode were written in 2023 would be all about crypto. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, you yeah you know it. And uh, I believe it's Abby who says here, well, you know, women who date those kind of men don't get vomited on on a regular basis, which is uh, a fair point. Uh, And then they start looking for Chen only to realize that in the background, uh, she is fully up on stage dancing with uh, the band and then proceeds to stage dive and have this like moment of euphoria as the as I think they do a freeze frame. Do they do a freeze frame? They do. They absolutely do. do, They they do slow-mo and then a freeze frame, which is how you know that like. Charles Hayden drawn for time. Charles Hayden directed this episode because he's pulling out the old tricks from season one. When you need to pad out an episode, do a little weird slow-mo and a freeze frame. That'll, that'll get you to a tight 42. So just a really like, so to, to summarize everything, I'm going to say like a very excellent, strong, excellent 35 minutes. And then a, a, a fucking like, Make all the pe- a, a fucking like make all the periods two font sizes bigger and then write out all of your dates uh, and double space. and double space of a last eight minutes. Like this last eight minutes feels like I'm writing a paper freshman year of college and it's like half a page too short. Yep, like it is so fucking weird the the disconnect between the first you know eighty five percent of this episode and the last fifteen percent is so vast. You have a like if you could have stretched out the first uh, 35 minutes of this episode and actually made it into a full fledged 44 minute episode, whatever it was, you could have another like a plus episode on your hands, an all time great one. And it's just this last eight or nine minutes or so that is just like a complete waste of time where it's like, why are we what what am I all of this is being shown to me against my will. I didn't ask to see any of this. I don't care about any of these people. I don't care about any of the stuff that's happening here. This is so much less interesting than the stuff I just spent the last, you know, half hour plus watching. So for that, for that reason alone, I have to like dock it down to like seven and a half, eight on its best day. See, whereas I would say eight, eight and a half, because what shines here shines so brightly. It's one of those episodes that it's like, yeah, sometimes around the stuff is not very good, but like the meat, the meat, there's stuff you really mm-hmm. dig into and care about in this episode. You really fucking care about. Yeah. Yeah. Also, yeah. Martin. 
Yeah, Martin. Damn. Yeah, okay, yeah. Martin. Martin's on that's, 11. That's why this gets seven and seven and a half for me, is Martin just nails it. Remember, folks, start a union. Join a union. <sighs> Lauren, what the listeners have to say about it? I was like, I was like, I can't start reading until you ask me, buddy. Uh, Alina M says another episode in which we get Carter as the leader shoved down our throat. As I'm watching season nine again and thinking about this, the chaos theory, I slightly changed my opinions about this episode. I realize now that it's so over the top to show that Car- that Carter was able to control things, but as the season progressed, he lost all control. Still, I'm not buying Carter being the hero and leader of the ER. First of all, why is improving security suddenly a priority for him? I can think of plenty of incidents that happened after he and Lucy got stabbed. Apparently, it hasn't been a hot topic for him because Carrie mentioned that he never participated in the staff meetings about security for the past two years. The fact he didn't even ask Chen how she was doing made his act look rather selfish, as well as the consequences of his walkout. Patients were deprived of care, three nurses have to go, and they're already understaffed. The scene where everyone starts clapping when Carter finally gets his way makes me roll my eyes every time. And can I just say, wow, this workplace is astonishingly unsupportive when critical incidents happen. If none of these people are left with massive PTSD from working in this hospital, then I guess they must be robots. Right? So while I think it was wrong of Carter to stage a walkout, there was a part of me that could sympathize with him. It's been more than two years since the stabbing incident. That alone would have been enough reason to immediately improve security drastically. I feel that Carrie could have avoided the situation by taking Carter more seriously when it was obvious his limit had been reached. She should have taken him aside to listen to him. Instead of that, she was annoyed and brushed him off and only told him about budget reductions, how difficult her job is, etc. When someone is so obviously pissed, this is the worst thing you can do. Valerie Z says, oh boy, here we go. We are officially in full swing of the all hail King Carter era. I swear, every time I rewatch the series, I lose my patience with him and gain more respect for Carrie. I understand his concerns with safety, particularly after what happened to him and Lucy. However, his insufferable hero role is growing all too tiresome. It's all well and good to make these big dramatic decisions like staging a walkout and ordering expensive equipment without budget clearance, but as another listener pointed out, what about the lives that were not being cared for while they were out in the parking lot? What about the livelihoods of the three nurses that is now cut short due to his rash rash actions? I know there's an episode coming up soon where he takes a big stand against the pharmaceutical companies and Carrie and Susan have to set his ass straight yet again. Yes, pharmaceutical companies are corrupt. Yes, hospitals are not safe from gun violence. But it doesn't mean that 24-hour medical care and prescriptions are not needed to save lives. Those of us in the real world don't have a millionaire trust fund to fall back on. Grow up, Carter. Uh, Franner W. says... I know there's a lot of anti-Carter feels and feels that the writers are shoving things down our throat at the minute. In this, in the case of this episode, I would say, if not Carter, who? Pratt? He thinks he has balls, but we all know he hasn't at this stage. Chen? She's traumatized from having a gun to her head. Abby? Again, gun waved at her and not secure enough in her place in the pecking order. Luca? Not got the balls at this stage either. Only went out once Carter initiated. Gallant? 
too worried about the rules. Bless his little baby heart. Lewis, not assertive enough, a theme that has held her back in her career anyway. Carter was one who sees... Carter was the one who sees two people he cares about threatened with a gun, has his own historical unresolved trauma of a similar nature, and his fight-or-flight reaction is what we see playing out. He fought. And on the St. Carter thing and people being pissed off with him being pushed down our throats, ever thought that this is exactly how the writers wanted you to feel? He is the ultimate rich and very white knight and does a ton of things to piss us off. Excellent British spelling of ton, T-O-N-N-E. Uh, maybe the conflicting feelings are why they are what they wanted us to have. And last but certainly not least, we have at the full-time dad says, unlike my contemporaries, I love that Carter takes a stand for the patient and workplace safety and against the bureaucratic red tape that hinders progress. Good, good on him. We are introduced to Abby's brother and an actor that should have be much bigger than what he is in Tom Everett Scott. He is perfect as the protective baby brother who feels his sister can do better than County. In the Law and Order verse, he plays a sinister governor who becomes McCoy's nemesis in the later seasons. So versatile, man. And what's with the ending of this episode? The tonal shift from the Leon, dear God, can this end ordeal, to Chen go-go dancing at the club is so jarring. It lets you know we're in a new era of the show and a harbinger of shenanigans for things to come. That was almost right. I'm sorry, Aaron. My brain auto-filled some words there. I apologize. It happens to the best of us. Have you met me while I do these in- outros? See, intros, outros. I don't know the difference anymore. We do words good. Lizzie, Huzzah! Well, that's about going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. This show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast. Where for only $5 a month, you can get an assortment of stickers, including one featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry. And access to over 70 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes, a freeform monthly bonus show called The Lounge, movie reviews where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member. Should be a new one of those up quite from re- yeah, quite recently. Yeah, at this recently point. In, yeah. In, in the near time frame to this episode. All right. If you want to call it a movie, air quotes, <laughs> uh, and character retrospectives where we reflect on departed main cast members. We would also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, and we are at Podcast on Instagram. Also be sure to check out the official Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edward and Daniel Working Folks. Find you at they can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is y-o-u dot e-l. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Uh, you can find me on my apparently now climbing Instagram at lobo92345. It's me not going very up high on walls because I am scared. You can find me on the cesspool of Twitter. I am at randomgamer. That's jm3r. And thanks again to everyone very much for listening. Please join us again next time. Have a great week.